been a fun. Well done, well done, Richard. Awesome effort. Thank have you. you. Have you uh, come down yet? Um, not quite. Um, yeah, it was an emotional, heavy week, let's say, or like an every three weeks while we was out in Japan. So for us to, um, yeah, we finished really amazing. high with films. So yeah, it was good. It was. I mean, the event it was just looked amazing. So when? Did, tell me when you went. So we went on the 20th of August. Um, Which is, yeah, okay, we went, three weeks ago, right? Three weeks, yeah? Yeah, so then okay. we, went, we went into there and went into, we flew into a university called Kyo. Um, okay. Taekwondo was there, archery and judo. Um, they literally just cancelled everything in this university complex just for Team GB. Yeah. So then we had a floor and a zone elevator and a zone catering. Um and then we just walked up this road, which was about 100 metres, and they had this, I don't know, 25-court hall for us. So they put two mats and a wheelchair court in the corner, and then taekwondo was in the other end. And, um, and yeah, you just got use of it. They had a full brand spanking new gym. So we could just basically get over jet lag and, and, and knock some dust off and then carry on our last bits of prep before heading into the village. Um, we went into village... Four days, I think it was. Yeah, four days before we started competition and six days of competition. So, like, like ten days of each, really. And how isolated were you in the in the like when you went into the village? What was that? Could you go out? I, I, mean, I went to ask Dan McGee that. Were you allowed out the village at all? No. Uh, Keo was worse uh, in was like that? isolation because there was only us wow. and Taekwondo, and if you didn't see each other, you didn't see anyone really. Yes. Um, really. Even, even like walking up this road that we walked up, they segmented part of the road off, so we didn't walk up on the path. We actually walked up on the road, so then we couldn't walk with, I don't know, um, other pedestrians. Yeah, with anyone. They were just us. They were. Um, we had gates to let us through, and they were man. These gates were manned all day, every day. So then when we come out, the, the, the security man would open the gate, make sure no one was around, let us pass. And then start to walk up the hill and then you'd find like the guy was following you behind you just to make sure you were okay. And then you get to the top of the hill and it's 35 degrees and there's a guy there waiting to open another gate for you, which is a little plastic wow. gate. Like you could have done it so easily. Um, you go into the venue, there'd be another helper there to help us. Tokyo, I can't, <laughs> they smashed it. It was amazing. I know. It was we were all taking a mic what it felt like to be like a VIP. Yeah. Um, <laughs> From Sheffield. To, uh, <laughs> yeah. We got to, well, speaking in Sheffield, we got to uh, the venue one day and it was raining. And I say it was raining in Sheffield, it rains the entire time. So it's no difference. And um, we got off the bus and these people come up with brollies standing next to us, <laughs> like making sure we didn't get wet. And we were all like, look, we're from the north, like it's normal, we're fine. Um, and uh, we'd like, but they did, they had so much manpower. It was um, really? at the um, at the village, it was a bit different because there was all the other sports there. So you, you got a bit more interaction bumping into, for example, for example, those for table tennis, wheelchair, basketball, they train at the IS at Sheffield. So right. we've seen quite a lot of them in the gym and what have you. So it was nice just to catch up with them sort of people. So it opened up so a little bit. So they were in the same there. venue as you? No, in the same tower block. Oh, really? the, I see. Uh, our venue was shared with wheelchair rugby. So they had the first six days 
two hours handover, two days handover, and then we had the back six days. And were you allowed to go and see? Obviously, you're in the badminton. When you weren't, when they weren't, when yourself or your team weren't playing badminton, could you go and see other events? No, they wouldn't let. They wouldn't even let you on the bus. Yeah, they really like um, knuckled down on the old COVID thing and just made sure that basically there was no way it could spread. See, I, thought, team, I thought if you're in the village, you'd be in the village, and that was it. You know, I thought that was a bubble, right? And you could, you know, you could get. That's what I thought. I thought, you know, maybe you'd get to go and see basketball, see whatever, you know, all of the because the, the people you train with, right, from the UK, as even even in the village, when you go to the food hall, bear in mind the food hall is the size of an ASDA. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, it takes you like a good five minutes to walk around it, and there's two floors of it, and then it's a bit of a pain in the bum on the first day to be honest because it's a while and you're hungry um but when you know where you want to go on the second day it was okay um but even there you had to put a a plastic glove on to get your tray and then they then served you your food so you wasn't really touching anything that wasn't yours everything was on paper so then all that got chucked and yeah it was even in the village you had to wear a mask all the time it was 36 degrees outside it's absolutely baking and you have to have your mask on no what, matter what what was the like was that i guess there must have been track and trace with phones and all that was there yeah so we had an app like track and trace and uh, we did a covid test every morning that had to be in for half past eight every morning for everyone um and then you had to do like a wealth check like a like a welfare check app that you had yes. to say i was okay i felt yes, okay my temperature yes. was okay for example and yes. um, everybody had to do that and obviously the Japanese are mad on the technology. I would imagine there's a lot of technology all over the place for thermal yeah, well, screening, all that stuff, right? Yeah, in the village, they had, yeah, the COVID side of it was as good as it could have been. Yeah. But like tech-wise, there was buses going around the village, which didn't have, it were automotive. They didn't have a person driving it. They just went round all by their own. Um, well, could, <laughs> yeah, they were very um, scared of, hitting anything which is fair enough. um and yeah. when you've got athletes that can't see and things like that it became a bit trickier i think for para as it did for everybody but um yeah yeah amazing well, let's get on to i would like to talk if it's okay i would like to ask you some questions about your badminton yeah of course so i would like to know first of all when you started and why you started and and yeah that was it did you have family what when at what age did you first start do you remember uh, I was about 12. Um, my dad used to play, um, snapped his Achilles a couple of times, which put a quite swift end to that. Um, what, serious player? A club player? or a... Just a club player. He could obviously can hold the racket, but um, no, nothing too serious. I used to play football. I used to play in the net. Um, I, I got all right. Went to a few academy-type standards, and to get me agility up, my dad said, well, why don't you play badminton? And like, just try it out. And I'm quite, a, <laughs> I'm quite a selfish person. Uh, in a football team, there's eleven of us, and I didn't like people letting me down. Yeah. I got badminton. I got on my own, and yeah. I quite liked it. It was me, and it was my problems. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was about yeah, twelveish. Um, I love sport, swimming, roller hockey, you name it. I'll play anything. Um, always loved it. Um, even to this day, I'll always try and turn me on to any sort of sport, really. And, uh, yeah, I'll watch anything near enough as well. <laughs> yeah. I feel the I feel the same. I've got a, a career job. And uh, what? And then when you were 
obviously you've started at 12 and you've played up and did you, you go to club and that kind of thing was it a, did you get coaching as well that's a question yeah so i started with coaching i was lucky enough that um mike adams and a couple of others were around my area at the time um so i ended up getting quite good coaching quite soon um uh, which was luck which was lucky for me um I was never the gifted technical person, and 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 obviously there's no one's going to tell you that anyway. But I just knew I had to work quite hard, and I got my head done and um, got into a couple of when sessions. When you say work and, quite hard, you're talking about the physical side. You quite you're into the 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 fitness of it. Did you? Yeah, I just I just do anything anybody that anybody told me to do with sport. I just I was quite happy to listen and quite happy just to apply quite quickly. Yeah. Um, which even if that was physical, like run, then that's that's fine. I'll run or do a multi or whatever it'd be. Um, so um, I, yeah, I was, so I got I got quite good quite quickly just because I didn't really know the answer. Of, well, I didn't really know the answer. No, really, I just cracked on. Um, I was lucky enough that I had a lot of people that looked after me at each stage. Um, I met Andy Ellis quite young and and Marcus and and yeah, so. I had good role models in my area. Um, you can't really go too far wrong when you're bashing a shot with them with a couple this, of days. With, 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 the, with these guys. And how many yeah. times a week would you play, do you remember? Uh, when I was that young, it was just a couple. Um, I quit football then soon after, which in hindsight was probably a bad decision to make. But anyway. Really? <laughs> um, do you think so? Do, is that one of your dreams? Is that one of your things that God, I wish I'd be... Did you? I can't remember. Only thing I remember is I had um, I, I got to academy football level and I had my Sunday league football level and and I played badminton and I wasn't very good at it at the time and I just <laughs> said to me that was yeah, badminton and he went all right you crack on so that was that. Um, I guess on the commercial side, everybody thinks about the commercial side, don't they? You think of football and that's where the big money is, don't you? You know, big yeah. house, footballers' wives, all that stuff, and it's. I guess it's easy to be to have the trappings of that, and and so what? And and I guess when you said you took up badminton, so what did you think of? What did you think of? I guess school age, leaving school age, kind of thing. What what did you? You know, the career guidance people they say, okay, what are you going to do when you leave? And you say. Well, I'm going to be a badminton player. Or would it? What does that? How does that work out? What is? What was that like? Um, honestly, I never had any intention of going full time at badminton. Um, I had, like I said, I had Marcus and and Chris Adcock just in the year above me, and I knew where I sat with regards to them too, and and I was open to the fact that that was a big hill to climb, um, and yeah, I was quite happy to. I finished my under-19 year at Europeans and I, I managed to play Commonwealth Juniors and World Juniors and I had a good nice. time at it. I, nice, I enjoyed yeah. it. As you say, uh, when you're bashing with those two, you're going to be good, right? Yeah, always. Yeah, like, I just got, I got a lot of good friends and in Bama and I still have them now. And um, But then when it got to 19 and I was like looking at my career path and yeah, what I want from black, So you, what, what you said you leave school, sorry, Richard. I left at 16 and went to college. Um, to do and what? And then that took me. So I did maths, PE, business. Really? Um, so it wasn't sport the, at all? I did, well, I did PE it involved with my yeah with my maths and my business. Oh, right. I see. Okay. Yeah, good. I still enjoyed sport. I, I would have never have stopped. It was like what really? involved my life. Um, I, I just didn't. I knew I didn't want to go full time, which... Um, was the 
<laughs> not a right career yeah. path, but it works out okay. No, I think no, I think I'm I am always very interested in that transition where somebody says they're a good player and they love it and they're you know they know and you know when you get to an age where you've been playing badminton. 12, 13, 14, whatever, and you've played and you've played hard and you've competed hard and you just love it, right? It just gets in your head, you love it, right? And then when somebody at school says to you, what are you going to do, Richard, for what are you going to do when you finish school? And does somebody say, oh, no, I'm going to be a badminton player. I'm going to do, oh, yeah, come on, let's be serious. What are you going to do? <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's and somebody, somewhere down the road, somebody says that to you, don't they? So did you yeah. have that conversation? Do you remember having the conversation with a, an occupational, I guess, uh, you know, these people at school that say, what are you going to do? Do you remember that conversation at all and saying, I want to be uh, whatever? Um, yes. Uh, my initial was reply that an was... Was that an astronaut? Yeah, no. It, 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 I, I, I always wanted to be a PE teacher, funny enough. Good, um, yeah, that's good, yeah. And then um, yeah. that sort of directed towards a fireman. Um, I like the idea of a fireman. I even started to apply to be really? a fireman before really? um, coaching started taking off. You've got, um, you've got the t-shirt for it. I know. <laughs> um, I quite like the idea and the lifestyle of it. Um, I was always keen to have a family and 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 have a lot. I like my family where I live, um, and I was always keen to make sure that I enjoy that side of my life as much as. Yeah. My job. Like, um, Are you quite a home bird? Did you always want to stay Sheffield? Yeah, I like Sheffield. Everything right. I know is here. My friends are here. Yeah. My family's here. Um, the things that I like are here. Yeah, nice. I'm, I'm, I'm not a complicated man. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm a, I'm, although I moved away, and I know a lot of people, especially in badminton and sports, people do move around a lot, don't they? And you see, yeah. you see it all the time. So tell me about the para and how you got. Well, I suppose how how you got into the whole thing. Yeah. Oh well, the performance coach, side of things, coaching as a whole, yeah, I suppose. Well, just tell me after the yeah. I mean, what age are you now, Richard? I'm thirty-one. Right. Okay. So tell me, talk to me about after the 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 PE stuff. Did it? What? Yeah, yeah. So how did you get to where you are? I suppose. I got to about eighteen, nineteen, and a club round the corner from me said, "Do you want to come and coach with me a couple of nights a week?" And I give you sixty quid a night, and I'm <laughs> thinking, two nights a week. I'll be on by seven. That means I don't have to work weekends. I'll have a little bit of that. That sounds good to me. Um, so did that and really enjoyed it. Uh, got my own group and uh, I was lucky enough to uh, coach with like Vinny one night a week and, and Mike and things like that. So I, again, I really enjoyed it. Just enjoyed giving back. Like I knew I didn't want to do it, but if people wanted that, if people wanted to do it, I was like, well, let's go then. Let's do it. Brilliant. Um, so I, I got the bug quite early. I started coaching down at Aberdale for a little bit and then um, had a little fallout, um, ended up leaving Aberdale, and, but I left with the, the, what was the performance. Sorry, what is it? Sorry, Richard, what is Aberdale? Is it a, 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 a club, club or was it? Oh, right. It was a club at the time, but it was the biggest club in Sheffield. It was, it was quite big and uh, the performance centre was based out of there. And um, can, I, can I sorry? Can I go back one second? Just ask you this question because I'm sure I forget it. Why do you think Sheffield is so good at badminton? Why is the Ellis is there? Why is why do you think badminton is so good in Sheffield? I think there's a lot of opportunity in Sheffield. A lot of schools, a lot of good schools um, really? that that deliver a lot of badminton. Like um, our program at the minute sees about. 
probably somewhere between 600 and 700 kids a week playing badminton. Wow. So when, when you're having that amount of people playing badminton at school, and they love it as well, um, you always are going to produce or get the chance to have these top players who want to take it seriously. And then it was then our job, or my job at the time, to make a programme that could sustain someone to become a national player. Uh, and that's sort of like, that was what, what happened. Um, yeah, and and Leeds used to be a lot like that. Harry and Barber, like, yeah, they need a knighthood or something for me. They did so much for badminton in Leeds. And, what was that name, sorry? Uh, Harry and Barbara Jarvis. Uh, they did so much badminton mm-hmm. up in Leeds. Um, and then when Vinnie went to the university, it just got stronger. Um, and that's why you've got Jenny Warwick and, and Gabby's from up that way, Marcus, even Jamie Bonsells and all my cell at the time. We had, I think my ICT team had eight England players in it um, for Yorkshire. It was crazy stupid. It was so strong. Uh, you got someone like me and Kate Robertshaw playing second mix behind Mark Middleton and Gabby Adcock. It's like, <laughs> it was just surreal to have that then. Um, but there was a good team ethos there. Um, everybody was in it together. Um and yeah, we we worked hard. We did. Amazing. Um, we had, mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. It was good. So, but yeah. So then you got onto your co- that was you coaching, and then tell me about the para thing. How did you get into this? Where did this come from? My dad, my dad runs a club uh, in Sheffield, um, down at Westfield, just literally about five minutes from where I am. And um, Jack Shepherd um, came to his club, and so yeah, just started coaching him. He was quite happy. I used to coach one on one, one on one coaching, right? Oh, he was in the group. Oh, right. Um, yeah, and um, really keen kid from the off. Loves badminton, breathes badminton. That's all he, he he loves it, and he's like that now, even though he's twenty four and world champion. But anyway, he um, loves it, and um, I, I didn't have much involvement. And then he might he had to get his leg snapped, so. Um, Guys with achondroplasia, their tip grows quicker than their fib, so it actually bows their legs out, if that makes sense. Yes. So they have to break their legs at a younger age and reset them to stop them going so bow legged. So Jack had this, which puts you in a frame for about nine months, I think it was. And in that nine months, you don't move at all because you've got these two frames on your legs. And Jack came back a little bit heavier, um, and, he, and it, it quite upset him, to be fair, from what I remember. And he just said... I'm not happy, Rach. And I says, well, let's do it. And that this is where me and Jack really first connected. I says, well, I'll come after training. I'll run with you and we'll do some times and we'll bring the time down. And we only did like like short sprints or we'd do like 50 laps of the hall or whatever it was. And I'd do it with him. And over the weeks, it got quicker and quicker. Um, and he lost all that weight that he, that he put on. But then I got closer with Jack. Uh, his dad, Tim, he's the head of the Dwarf Association. So he, any sort of, really, any sort of dwarf that's in the UK knows Tim Shepard somewhere. Really? Or really? Tim Shepherd. Yeah, really. He's re- uh, the programme that he sets up is brilliant for to bring these disabled people together. Yes. Um, there's, a, there's, two, there's a dwarf that's at my daughter's nursery who's only three and they know him. Um, so it's, it, he's got a good reach, he has. So anyway, Bamford England put a post up to say, um, head of Parabadminton England, I think the budget was not much. Like let's say about four camps a year, 
Um, I didn't even know. And Rich said, why don't you apply for it? Uh, Tim said, why don't you apply for it? So I says, <laughs> I was a bit like, Tim, I, I know I coached Jack and he's got dwarfism. And that's but it. I've got no idea. And he went, you'll be all right. You'll wing it. So I was like, <laughs> all right. So I went for the job and um, Steve Willis from down in um, Hertfordshire used to coach Rookie. And it ended up me and me and him. And, and, uh, and lucky enough, I got the job. So I said, do you mind who was the other one? He said, Steve. I said, so I, I said, do you mind if you give me his number? So I said, Steve, would you like to be my number two? Because I know nothing about wheelchairs and I could yes. do as much as possible. Yes. So, yeah, we had three or four camps a year. Um, you put your foot in it a couple of times. Um, yes. And I think that's one of the main problems with para and coaching is people are worried about saying something. Well, eggshells, uh, treading on eggshells, right? Yeah. And it's just the embarrassment of when it happens and not having, not taking it personally. And they definitely don't. It, it, it's really? mean. Us, yeah. 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 I, so, think it's a, I think it's a natural thing. I mean, I don't, I, I, I've had, I've had little experience of para badminton, but there was a, in my local club, there's a chap, Dave, who's kind of in his forties. There was a, an exceptional wheelchair player that came to a regular club and kind of held his own in a regular club, I have to say. He was quite tall. He's quite tall mm. kind of stature. Big shoulders, long reach, amazing clear, amazing smash. Um, but you have that kind of, you know, you, you do. It's difficult. You know, it's a difficult thing to play against a wheelchair badminton player in a club, mm. right? I mean, he was coming and, you know, with 30 or 40 people and he would hold his own in the game and, you know, he played doubles with you and all that stuff. And it was fantastic. But it's yeah. it's definitely a it's a challenge now. I, I do, you know, I, I've thought obviously long and hard about the our, our chat tonight and stuff, and and you do have the eggshells, you do have the and the, but there's there's also things that I'm I'm fascinated about, you know, how you you know the the thing that astonishes me about disability badminton, well, I guess a disability of all sorts is the measure, you know, you know that there could be somebody with you know, it's such a specific thing, a disability, that specific thing to a, an individual person. And, you know, I look at Dan, who's obviously got an issue with his left left arm. Um, and, you know, does he compete with somebody with a, does he need to compete with somebody with disability in his left arm? And, you know, how does it work? How did, you know, how does it, you know what I mean? And a, a wheelchair player against a wheelchair player, that's, you know, they've got they've got no access to their legs, so they're both playing the same, they've got the same shoulder strength and everything else. But disabilities are so different for different people. Do you know what I mean yeah. by that? Yeah, so on that one, he's like Dan's got cerebral palsy, obviously left hand, left leg. Um, right, so really right, sorry. Quite, yeah, he's got a little bit, he's got a bit of a limp and the power and strength that he has to his leg. I have to say, leg. you don't see that. I don't see that in his leg at all. Watching video, well, actually, I haven't seen he's, that. Yeah, he's less disabled on a badminton court than he is day to day. Like he really? moves so well up and down a badminton really? court now. Yeah. Um, I swear to God, I didn't know. Yeah, that. well, it's nice. It's Amazing. easy to be fair on a badminton court. Um, but like the competition for Dan, you don't, you don't have to be disabled to be able to play Dan. Like so, we. Yes. He was playing Callum Hemming, Stephen Stallwood. He was down in Milton Keynes playing Lauren Smith the couple of weeks before they went away. Um, yeah. Any sort of, it's the same as the able-bodied side in that they all come in all different shapes and sizes, which have different attributes and not so different attributes. And having all that mixture for Dan is what's made him as good as what he is. 
Um, he plays me a lot. He plays uh, Drabble, Martin Drabble a lot, Farmer a lot, um, Boxy a lot. And because Farmer's six five and it's like a rocket, and and Drabs has got lots of skill, and and Boxy's uh, doesn't play as much, so you, you get a bit and you get all this mixture. And Danny has to manage through all of them, and um, it it works out really well for him. And and Rookie's the same. So I I play in a wheelchair to help Rookie because there's not that many people in Europe of his standard. Yes. So then I said, well, I better learn. So I got myself a chair. Um, Did you? Yeah. So got myself my own chair and started to train and understand the game because I sat at the back of the court and I didn't understand what it felt like to be in that position. That's what I would do. So I, thought, well, I need to learn that before I can give actual advice to Rookie. Um, so, yeah, I learned to get, to, I got to a standard where me and him was really close, actually. And he's what, top five, top six in the world. And, it's, but then I'm bigger. I'm quite strong upper body. He's he, he's about half a foot shorter than me standing. So then he's smaller. So he needs a smaller chair, smaller wheels. But that makes him really agile. Where I'm more longer speed. And yeah, it changes everything. It's the same as my motor compared to Axelton. So we say. Do you? Um, yeah. So do you? Uh, have any of your other player um, friends played it? Used the chair? Tried the chair? So, Boxy, who's obviously my um, the national coach up at Sheffield, and and James Farmer, yeah. um, Boxy pushes the chair like it's made out of glass, and he'll tell you that. <laughs> really? Just says I can't do it, Rich. I can't. And, I and know it's a nightmare. Yeah. I, I, I am totally with you. I would want. I'm dying to try it. I would. Yeah, it's amazing abilities. Yeah, it's uh, wow. Farmer's Farmer's very good in a chair. He's. He's got very strong in it, and he understands it, and he can even play a couple of styles now. Um, he, he didn't have the rookie pushes the chair so much better than James did, or Farmer did. But then Farmer had the tactical awareness to go, all right, I can't get out of the corner. I'm just going to put loads of height on it and get back, which made the game quite slow. But yes. then he actually learned, he taught himself to be like, well, all right, I'm going to push this chair in this way or that way to make sure I can go more aggressive on my clears and and bid this on my drop and he does this on his smash and yeah he's actually quite dangerous in a chair now to be fair um wow. yeah it's, it's not a- good for your hands because our hands are so soft and then you go in a chair and even with gloves on three sets and you're going to blister up sooner really? rather than later. really your hand if you if you ever meet someone like rookie and you shake hands it's like they've got sandpaper fans really? um yeah so um say yeah or something like, like you look at it. Some, even just the chair, rookie's chair, the thousands of pounds. The tires are more than the ones on your car off of them, and it's so specific to certain people. But it's designed to do a job, and same as like a racing bike in, in to a degree. So then, yeah, like our badminton and people's feet are always a bit hard skinned because we're on them all the time. Well, imagine playing badminton with your hands. It's yeah, they're gonna get pretty rough. Absolutely. And how do you, so you're obviously quite a performance kind of coach. You're obviously quite a physical kind of a performance coach and you obviously believe in the physical and pushing people. Do you push quite hard as a coach? You know, know, no matter what the disability. So somebody in a wheelchair, you push them hard on their arms and shoulders in a gym environment. What do you do with that? Yeah, we obviously I'm lucky enough to have got S&C based at the programme. So we have good Sorry, what's that Richard? What's S&C? What's that? Uh, we have a we have a full time strength and con- well not full time oh, cool. we have a strength and conditioning coach based in Sheffield Brilliant. that knows 
yeah, so I've got that, and and we've got a full time physio and a nutritionist, and fair, well, we've got all the support that we need to be honest. Um, so between the sports science um, staff and myself and the other coaches, we come up with an idea of what we want from certain players and why we need it. Some of it's just rehabby type stuff to make sure we don't get injured in certain muscle groups, like. But then the disabilities have different ways of um obviously <laughs> shoulders and stuff's very simple for rookies yes. to him but then tendons in your elbows we have to make sure they're really yeah. strengthened because they get so much hammer uh, and but then dwarfism they're quite tight in their inners so then that's always in their program just because of their disability where for example i don't have tight inners compared to the next person but for a dwarf they generally do um so yeah it's a lot trickier danny is a unbelievable minefield i couldn't i lose track when my physio and snc start talking even i lose track of what they're going on about because it gets so technical it's amazing uh, what... that's that's that actually fascinates me you know that i think it's it's a real skill i mean you've got a real i don't say it i don't say i don't say challenge in a, in a negative way a challenge in a good way you know, I think yeah. it's an amazingly fascinating subject and every single disability, every single person that you meet will have a new challenge. And is there a lot of other dis- disabled players that come through you? How many players do you see? Obviously, you've been involved with this, with this team. Is there, is, uh, you know, how does it work generally day to day? Is there lots of other disabled players that come to you? Or? We, had a, we had a big squad. We had about a 20-man squad before we got into the Olympics. But then when we got funded to go to the Games, we only had... The uh, UK sport would only fund players that could get on the podium. So that 20-man squad turned into four quite quickly. And that four then got everything and and everybody else didn't. And not because anybody um, said anything bad or had bad ideas. It was how how funding works. Luckily enough, in the last... Um, last couple of months, Bamman England's helped and, and Sport England's helping now to get money for our pathway, um, which so, means that then now we have um, a, a, like what is an England programme, a GB programme, a futures programme. So now all these are starting to build momentum and we're trying to get, we don't know what they are yet. We're just trying to see how it works and how we can get it to work. And something simple is just making someone a priority. You've got a, a 14 year old dwarf, for example, He's never gonna. He's not gonna be able to keep up with a fourteen-year-old counter. So if he's in Milton Keynes, he's not gonna get counter training. He's not gonna get good training because right. he's gonna be too young. Where we need to tell him, well, actually, he's very good for his age. So you need to put him in a group to train with people of his standard, even though he's not as good as them. If that makes sense. Yes, totally. Uh, that's where someone like Jack has been lucky as a junior because he came through my program. Yes. Uh, in, in Sheffield. So then we said, well. Let's. He, he's with my elite. Oh, so there's like people who are top in England. He, his intentions is right, and his training ethics is right. He just doesn't quite hit the shoulders hard or as crisp as 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 a junior does, um, or an older junior especially. But he's got. But he needed to be in that group where his actual ability puts him in the one of the bottom groups um, at the time. But then the people in that group then don't train like he wants to train. They don't work as hard as he wants to work, and things like that. So. Something simple for us for a pathway is just trying to get them in the right places and give them the right groups. It's yeah, it's growing each. It's um, an age. I think it's an age thing, an age old thing of um, I've, I've I really believe that 
Ireland, I've, I spoke to, I spoke quite a lot to Daniel McGee and uh, Dave McGill and the chief exec about an Ireland, and they're they're going through pains. I had an interesting interview with uh, Bert, um, who's an umpire. Um, I don't know if you heard that, um, but he was talking about um, his hometown of his home country of Belgium. They've got a structured grading system for players, club players of all le- all levels. And uh, is there anything like that in Power of Babington? Is there any form of like a nationwide scheme where you can measure against, like you know, would you, for example, know how many dwarf players there are in the UK? Or do you know what do you think of that? There's we know for the, we know most of the disabilities that play badminton, most of the disabled players that play badminton. The downside to it is is that can we access the session? Because para badminton is probably never going to be big enough to be able to have its own program. We've got a good club program and a good junior program that we have in England anyway, so we should just tap into that. Again, going back to it, like the hard question is, if you've got a 14, 15-year-old dwarf, what tournament is he going to play? Yeah. Like, he can't play a bronze or a gold because he'll not have a ranking or a seeding, so he'll not be able to get into it. The higher he goes, he can't. Like Even Jack, Jack and Christian are, like I said, the top three, four in the world between them, both of them. They play the top England under-14s and have a very good game. So that's their standard. Um the problem is, is the thirty and and twenty four. So you yeah. can't. So what are they supposed to play from a national perspective? Are they supposed to play a senior bronze and play someone who's six three and hits it deep and therefore foot three and that just doesn't work? So it's trying to rewrite, trying to find ways to rewrite that rule book is what's going to be the tricky part. Do you have just camps? To... Do you have camps? We do. We start just start. Like I said, the funding's only just started in this April. Uh, we've had and is that for national... all of UK? So if there were Scottish people that wanted to come, for example, or Irish or Welsh people that wanted to come to a camp in Sheffield, could they? The um, there's, there's a GB there's a GB in an England overlap. So um, some stuff's GB. We have a GB program that sits underneath my, the full time program that's at Sheffield. But then there's an England program on the separate part to that, which is us England finding our coaches as same as Scotland or Ireland or Wales do. So Scotland's actually development of Parabamington is really good. Um, yeah. They get a lot of players and they've probably got a lot more players than England have. Yeah. Um, Lyndon Williams does that, I think, doesn't he? Lyndon. Yeah, massive. He does a great job and uh, he's been a good mentor for me as Lyndon. So, uh, good. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Good. Well, I think, I think I've spent enough of you tonight. <laughs> I'm sure I can ask you loads and loads and loads of questions. I'm sure I'll have loads that might come back, so I'll probably come back to you. But I don't want to spend all of your night chatting away. But we've already been chatting for long enough, probably for your uh, get on with your night. You've got work tomorrow, I guess. But it's been oh no, uh, I'm, I've got a week off. Just have you? Oh, of course. How is the jet lag and all that stuff? Are you all right? Have you been all right with it? I was shocking. We had we went well. Obviously, Coombe's finished on so just your high, so we were like. So then we had a few drinks that evening and it ended up turning into a few more. So then that was, that was about four hours sleep. And then we travelled the day after. When was that? So what day are we on today? It's Wednesday day, yeah. So when did you come was, back? This, yeah. was, this was Sunday. Wow. Uh, went out Sunday night. Nice. Uh, well, in our house. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and then we flew back on Monday, but then... Trying to get, we had boccia, wheelchair, basketball, us. There's a couple of sports on our flight. So you can imagine there was 100 and 
30 wheelchairs or whatever they were oh, on our... Whoa. You can imagine just going to Tenerife like with the families. You get, taking off on time is always an achievement. So we were two hours late actually <laughs> leaving. Uh, we all had that much kit. We broke the weight limit that we had the paperwork for. So I suppose like you normally go on a flight to Tenerife, as you say, and the person in the wheelchair is getting wheeled along in the thing, and then they get rid of the seat, don't they? And they put that yeah. in the hold kind of thing. So if yeah, you've done that, that, multiply it. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's exactly wow. the problem. Um, and on top of that is that we went as an eight-man team. We had 42 bags. So, because we're away for three weeks, you've got a medical plinth, you've got a box of shuttles, you've got a box of multi-shuttles, you've got um, two medical bags, you've got, it, it was just an enormous pile of stuff. Um, so, we get us on the runway after after two hours, and we sat on the runway, and he went, oh, I'm really sorry, but his paperwork doesn't check out, because now we weigh too much. So, we need to get all that verified. So, it was, again, another two hours later, before then we flew, and then we had a, like I said, 11 and a half, 12 hour flight into Heathrow. Um, so, yeah, not ideal for Monday. So, it gets into Heathrow, Monday, that's Monday evening. So, even with a 12 hour flight, because of the eight hour time difference, it's only actually four hours out your day. Um, yeah. So, we were lucky when we got there, all the British Paralympic Association were there, sorted all those bags out. The media was quite heavy, to be fair. Um, we ended up. Um, working <laughs> Channel 4, BBC, whatever, we're all there to pick us up. And what yeah, we the lads had some interviews obviously with them with their medals. And yeah, my there you are, look what, at that, yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's the uh, homecoming shirt, and, look at that. One, and a blue one. I actually pinched out of a mannequin downstairs, they gave me an extra large, <laughs> and it was too big. And I'm walking around in this tent. And I walked past and this mannequin with it on, and I went, I wonder if that's my size. And it was like a medium, so I took that off that and put mine on. And then, Wait, is that the airport so, coming back? Where's that? Is that the airport? That's the airport. So yeah, that's I love, love that. Yeah. I hope you don't mind. I nick these off your Facebook. I didn't. I genuinely didn't think my missus and my daughter was coming. Really? And, um, <gasps> and they turned up. I was well happy. I was. Oh, uh, imagine it coming in, coming back into the country after all of that. I mean, you've you've actually been travelling for twenty four hours, right? Yeah, and then we obviously then we've got a three and a half hour drive home up yeah. north back to home. So I got home about one in the morning on Tuesday. It, Tuesday. Tuesday. Morning. That was just yesterday, so you must still be knackered, right? Yeah, but it's I don't we don't we do it's it that high. many times. It's not too bad, yeah. So you yeah. just stay up. No, you, you don't can. go. You don't go to Tokyo that often. <laughs> well, well, this must be our what our fifth time. We're supposed to go back in five weeks for our worlds. Oh yeah, our worlds supposed to be there. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be tough for them to run it. I think uh, with the quarantine and, and Tokyo being in a national lockdown, whatever. Yes. So I think I won't be surprised if it gets cancelled, especially with the Formula One getting cancelled and things like that. So, um, but yeah, the way back in training as of next Thursday, because we need a five week, six week run up to go to back to Japan to go for our world champs. Um, and then when we come back, then we'll have a rest. <laughs> Ideally, you'd like it now. There's nothing we can do about it, unfortunately. Am I right in saying there's no real, excuse my stupid question, there's no real season in professional badminton, is there? there? No, not really. It comes in It comes in years. When you get into the Olympic cycle, it comes in years. So you get a dead year, which is the first year. The second year is like a prep year for your qualification. So you just need to make sure you get some good points on the board, get yourself 
reasonably high up in the seedings because when qualification starts, if you're a 3-4 seed or 1-2 seed or whatever, it makes you draw so much easier. Sometimes if you can dodge the couple of top guys and they knock each other out and it make like, again, just the same as able-bodied. So that year is more like a bridging year. Then your qualification year is crazy. You spend half the year out of the country uh, traveling to however many tournaments you need to do to be able to pick up as many points as you can on average to qualify for the games. And then you then come out of qualification like the April, you prep them from April to uh, what would be August and for us, and then we go to games, then you have a rest, and then you do it again. <laughs> so it's like a, a four-year spin. So like are, these pl- are these players, are your players travelling a lot? You know, the four that you have, certainly, are they, will they travel a lot, like every kind of month, every so, you know, just like a, you know, is there a lot of competition goes on? Yeah, so we're not we're not as as bad as the able-bodied side just yet. Uh, we In qualification, we did, I think we did 14 tournaments in in the best part of 11 months 12 months so um like but they go anywhere from brazil peru to dubai spain um and then all the way across to china it's good isn't it that's great what a life you know what a thing that is right yeah 2019 was good we joined the able-bodied side and we were in the same venue for the able-bodied for the worlds so um the world was in the bigger and then we had like these two backside rooms which were like sports hall size rooms they were big rooms um but um the crowds that we got in there when it was crazy because um we had people coming genuinely to come and watch it was the first taste that parabamon got of proper fans um to have maybe a thousand or 1500 people watching yeah and what, it what, was uh, what's the can coming on to that I, i'm quite interested sorry i was gonna go but I've, Keep on coming on the questions. I hope you don't mind. What's the um, how is funding with Para Badminton? What's it? What's that like? Is there is there commercial sponsors? Is there? I mean, I know even you know, able-bodied badminton try to raise money and funds to do things is hard. Para is that the same challenges? Do they have a main sponsor? What is that like? No, it's it's we're we're on the same procedures as as the able-bodied really. UK Sport obviously fund our national program, uh, the GB program to go to the games. Um, Sport England fund the pathway, but then the commercial sponsors and stuff it's done down to the individuals. So if you can, like Victor for example, who learned how to speak Chinese and all that sort of stuff, and his Yonex contracts must be astronomical. Um, he's made himself very marketable. He's he's very popular and things like that. Where some of it's starting to link into para. There's some players that are dominant, really dominant in their category and and quite publicable. So then they're then getting a bit more off Yonex or 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 whoever the sponsor is with. Um, but it, it's a lot. It's watered down. A lot watered down. Is, is there to good it. commercial sponsorship in Sheffield for sport? Uh, no, not so much. Um, we haven't had much like commercial. No, um, we have support from all my junior stuff ran off the money that it generates, so that's okay. The, again, the GB programs ran off that. And no, I'm interested in the business side. To be honest, I'm, I'm like a, like I always go a bang on about. I'm in sales, personally business sales. I'm in, and you know, I, I think there's a disconnect between businesses and uh, um, and 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 sport. You know, and sport and para sport and all well, all sport really. There's nobody. 
I, I just feel that there's nobody really selling it. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily, I don't think it has to be about, um, sorry, I had to, I'm repeating myself. I had an interview with um, Martin Lewis. I don't know if you watched that last week. And it was, you know, I was talking about the, you know, nobody really selling it properly. Nobody, people kind of expecting players to know how to go to business and, and, and raise awareness of themselves. And the kind of the whole, the whole thing about badminton players being hardworking, clean living, competitive, all these things kind of, kind of, they kind of align with business. And I think somebody should be more, you know, I think somebody should be teaching what well, children or badminton players or sports people how, how to approach business, you know, and what's, you know, the expectation of what what's a lot of money to you to a business is nothing, right? That's what I'm always told. You know, what's a thousand pound to me, I think, Jesus, a thousand pound, that's a lot of money. But to a business, you know, the, an average business will turn over millions of pounds a year, right? So a thousand is, you think it's a lot, I think it's a lot, but they think it's nothing. And, you know, mm. it, but just, I don't know, I just think there's some education that needs to go on there about how to blag money <laughs> from, yeah. from business. I think we're just we're just starting with the games, just starting to get enough publicity to be able to start that ball rolling. Yeah, I think I so think, far. I don't know if it's about that, Richard. I don't know if it's about, like I say, I don't think it's about. I think where we go wrong, I think personally, is where we go wrong is we think it's about winning. It's about we think it's about t-shirts. We think it's about rackets. We think it's about what you're wearing and all that stuff. I'm more interested in. The getting into people into business and saying right, you know you're a business. You're local to where we are. I'm in Sheffield, right? And you're a business in Sheffield, wanting to supply people in Sheffield. And we are in Sheffield. We're clean living sports people. And somebody that could be a message, right? Out to out to business. You know we we don't need to win things. We don't need. We're here to you. You want to support the local business. You want business from local people, and we are local people. And you know yeah. and that goes all over the country, right? Uh, so anyway, that's just how I feel about it, and I just think yeah, I, think, I, I love the idea. I think it's great. Um, I just, think if I if if I had a business that I could, I'd be looking for someone in Sheffield yeah. that's from here, and then keep it. Like I said, you keep everybody else in a business, not in a business, but you let Sheffield people do good things. Um, I think we, before before we went full-time in Sheffield um, with the program. Um, one of the charities in Sheffield gave us money to go full-time four months early just to get a head start on it. Yeah. And that were down to people's goodwill and, and interest in mm. Yeah, exactly. And that were just down to maybe two individuals that just went, I've got, like you said, I've got the power to be able to do that. Yeah. And it was like, like I said, it was like 10 grand to go to go full-time. I think it was, it was about five and a half months early. And, um, like I said, the five grand, it really made, or the ten grand, two two sets of five grand didn't make that much difference to them people, but to yeah. us, yeah. it was huge. Oh, yeah, absolutely. it's, it's um, amazing. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I hate always bang on about money, but I just think it's, uh, yeah, I think there's some, I think there's mileage there when so people start looking at local people, local businesses. If people start, you know, looking at where they live. You know, look at where they live, who the biggest employers are, look at how well people are doing, look at how much they depend on local supply and local, you know, custom, and just say, you can be shown yourself as supporting, you know, yeah. hard-working, clean-living you know, people. Do you know, like, Nick Ponting and, and Anders Foundation and people like that? No, I don't, actually, no. 
Wonders Foundation is the same. Like they gave me prize money, believe it or not, for the UK champs last year. Really? Who? And I was like, we've I don't we've played the worlds. It doesn't have prize money, and then we've got the first UK champs with with hundred quid for winning it. It was like mental. Yeah. Uh, and and that was Nick and the Anders Foundation's doing, and it was. I genuinely couldn't believe it. I was like, that's genuinely like the best gesture I've ever had. But it just added that, like I said, it didn't, it meant for, to them, it, I don't know how much Nick will have to, have to obviously have to answer that question, but it probably didn't mean that much to them. But to our thing, to have that there and to have that entity around this, to our, our tournament was massive. It was huge. Um, and he did it just because he can. Uh, like I said, I don't think I particularly asked that from what I remember, uh, and I didn't have to work that hard for it. They were quite giving of it, and um, yeah, it, it was one of the, like I said, one of the best gestures we've I had. Think, I, think it's, I think there's a, I think actually just quite often, you know, I remember supplying somebody with a with something, a business, and and I said, and I, this guy had supplied something. And I went to see the finance director and he said, I said, why did you buy it from them? And he says, well, because they asked me if I, w- if I would. So I did. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, nobody's ever went to a business and said, do you think, do you think you'd maybe help us pay for such and such? And on, I swear to God in a business, if you went to a business and said, how would you go about, how would you go about giving money to a sports person, they would probably say, to be honest, I don't even know how to do it. I don't even know who I would give the money to. I don't know how I would do it. I've got money and I could do it because if I pay tax on all the profit I get, right, I'm going to pay tax on it. So get rid of that. People do that all the time, buy things they don't need so they don't show profit. That's easy done. So if you give that to, if you you had, if there was an organisation, I don't know if there is, that was a a bank, somebody that that businesses could say, do you know what? I could give my money there to them and I know that it will go to people who are worthy, for example. I don't know who decides that, but you know, I think yeah. that's probably what needs to happen. There needs to be... I'm sure there probably is. There probably is... You might say it's just any any charity, right? But, you know, actually an organisation that says, if you would like to support, here's a list of 500 badminton players and if you put money in this kitty, we'll spread it, thanks. Or yeah. whatever. Or whatever. So, anyway... I think it's like you said. I think it's trying to give giving that money to someone who you know will do the right thing with it. Because it, again, it's all right for them to get rid of that money, but it's so it's so easy right. then for the receiver to make it, let's say, disappear. Yeah. And that's not what that money's it's for. It's a trustee. Right? You'd have a trustee. You'd have to have a committee, a trusted, yeah. a group of trustees who all meet and decide on where the money goes, who's who's worthy, and that's the pro- that is a problem. The age-old question of whether, but I think it's geographical. Geographical. So if you, you know, if it was somebody in Sheffield, if it was somebody in, you know, you'd want the business. The business would want to be supporting people in Sheffield. Somebody in Newcastle yeah. would want to support people in Newcastle, Manchester, wherever. Anyway, anyway, it's fascinating. So, I'm sorry, I could talk to you all night now <laughs> on this yeah. subject. Yeah, I'm uh, a businessman at myself. I do, I do enjoy it. Um, the money is a, it's fascinating. It interests me that yeah, there's no, but somebody people should learn to to ask. Could you help yeah. me? Could you help me? And not be ashamed to say. I, I used to have. A, we used to work with a guy, and he used to I'd say, just ask him, just say please. He said, I'm not begging. He said, I'm not begging for something. I said, but it's not begging, is it? You're just saying. 
please would you help me and well i'm not i'm not embarrassed and i wouldn't be doing that and i think there's nothing wrong with that you know if you were saying you know i need such and such could you help me people want to help people they're actually quite people i find are quite normally all right you know if you went to somebody that's doing well and saying oh, well all right then i would do that there's a player local to me who's sponsored by he was sponsored by um a player in scotland sponsored by a local stone merchant stone masons that's yeah. all you need right that's all you need well uh, we've got well on that Coombs when he first started with us their APA their athlete performance allowance goes up depending on what tournament you win really? or what results so if you get a world medal or an Olympic medal you get a certain amount of money and if right. you don't you're down in the ground below and so right. on so unless you start to like generate performances I've you heard don't of that. it's called API, APIs did you say it was a- APA Apple, athlete performance allowance yes, yeah. yes I've heard of that. And so Coombs were doing uh, 30 four 35 hour a week at EIS training and then doing another 26 hours a week at Ikea around the corner oh to try and make his money um where someone like Isaac he's just started at a full-time program Isaac uh, Dalgleish and he's got um a local pub from his way giving him x amount of pounds a month and it awesome. means that he doesn't have he's not flush by any stretch of imagination yeah absolutely right but he can go home on an evening and have a sleep if he needs yeah. to because he's being ran at work or or he can make sure he's ready for Monday where he worked at um, Amazon for a little bit and he'd come back to work on Monday after working exactly Sunday after I've run him Monday to Friday the week before and he was just um, a shell of a man yeah and that like you said he he asked for help and a, a pub around the corner said yeah of course it's not that much money to them and yeah. and it really goes such a long way to helping Isaac get on the right uh, on the right track, um, where like I said, watching Coombs do it all them years ago, it was a graph for him. It was real graph for him for him to like end of a session just get changed quickly into his IKEA gear and jump in a car and shoot down the road to go help there. It was yeah crazy. <laughs> um, it is, uh, yeah, it's a it's, it's a, a big thing. In para, money's a big thing because if you're born with it, you don't get any money. If it's an accident, you can get quite a lot of money. I and then see, if you invest that, see, yeah, of course. If you that money well, then yeah, if it's you a, lose a, a leg or an arm because someone's been drunk driving and they shouldn't have been I there, see. and you get a seven-figure payout that you can put well in market and live off it, then you're then financially settled so then you can do your job with quite a lot of flexibility where living with uh, being both with dwarfism or in a wheelchair or, or, or cerebral palsy that's not anybody's fault so minus a little bit of a disability allowance here and there I think Danny Bethel receives nothing um, so he's well he's a he's an absolute genius actually he's, he's going to go into commercial law and whatever else but um, or Jack's the same they get a bit of disability allowance but him and Coombs they don't they ain't got a big payout and they didn't invest in so, five houses to pay their so, wages and stuff. Yeah, I hadn't these are all things I didn't even thought about. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. That, that side of the power is and then the kit, like Danny Bethel, like his shoes, something as simple as his shoes, because his left foot's a well, his left foot's his good foot, that's eleven. His right foot's a nine, and his yeah. foot's like this, it's like best healed over, so then they have so, to put a wedge, they have to take the sole off. The, yeah. Yeah, wedge it in, so that costs us another X amount of pounds, and then he's playing in it, and that's every three months. So you've got two pairs of shoes and an insole 
and the re-big every three months, it doesn't half add up. You just need um, to find a guy with a size of nine and a size of 11 foot. Yeah, and swap. <laughs> swap. <laughs> For sale. He's come up to me sometimes and do you want a size no. 11 shoe? I'm like, what do you want me to do with a size 11 left foot? Like, that's no good to me at all. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah. the, I, I love that. I, had, I interviewed a guy called uh, a double amputee in Edinburgh called Colin Leslie, who plays in town. Colin. Do you know Colin? Yeah, he's a lovely guy. Yeah, yeah, he's a great. He loves loves his badminton. But I interviewed him. I don't know if you've seen that interview. You should watch it. Don't know if you did. Yeah. You see it? Yeah. No. If you if you watch it, I don't. Know, do you know how he got his his um how he I became? Do. Do you? So that was on the yeah. interview, and at the end of the interview, there was a lot of waffle. I know I'm bad for that, but there's a, at the end of it, there was um, he tell, talks about come down the ladder, and you know coming down the ladder, coming down the ladder. I mean, right? Um, and yeah. then, but then he showed the tech of his foot. That's what I was going to say. The tech in his in his feet was incredible. But what reminded me there about feet was I asked what shoe size, <laughs> what shoe size he was. <laughs> he says you have a size nine. This is why wouldn't you pick the biggest shoe size you can get? If you if you're gonna have two artificial feet, why did you choose massive feet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what size shoe do you take? Yeah, I'm a nine. That's where it goes back to that. Like, like I said, that that eggshells. It's just asking the wrong questions. question. The wrong I, question. I, I, Bobby Griffins. He's another one. And he cut first. I went to the Scottish Four Nations. My first role as my job. And um didn't know anyone. Bobby was quite approachable, a bit of a lad's lad. And, oh, yeah. And so we were all right. So we had a chat. And um, I said, Bobby, I'm sorry, but why have you got one black shoe? And like, what? Because he had one black A6 on the left one and then a white one on the right. Right. On his, on his, and I'm like, and he went, oh, I just packed the wrong foot. And I was like, <laughs> God. Like, just. <laughs> Things that you don't think you should. You Things that you should about. say. Well, he talked. He was. He was talking about. The, the going right on PC now. At the end of it, he was talking about. I said he was talking about power and playing power, and he was, he was talking about a game that he played, and he lost his footing. He was yeah. at the back of the court, and he lost his footing, and he fell over, and he stumbled on a bunch of about five dwarf players. <laughs> And he yeah. says he says they felt like skittles. <laughs> it was such a funny story. It was so good, yeah. That side of the para thing is 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 really funny. Like you you don't go through many days. You say a lot of sentences that you think that you would never say, and you get asked to do a lot of things. Like one of my first times, Jack came into my room and went, "Twitch, will you just come get his hand?" And I says, "What?" He went, "Will you just pull the shower head down because they couldn't reach it." <laughs> yeah. By the time it got that far down, they weren't getting wet. And it, so he's like, well, you just pull it down, and uh, but then they play tricks on each other and and all sorts. And I think that's it's amazing, for me, isn't it? What great sense of humour, yeah. That's right. Yeah, they have, and and a lot of I've I've met I've met very few para players that that don't understand that able-bodied players who don't have a connection with para will make. The occasional normal gesture, yes. like they'll say, "Oh, what, what, what do normal people do?" And it, they don't mean it. They're not being malicious. They just, they just don't know the right words. And it took me a long time to do it. Um, James Binney from down south, he's he's lost the feeling of his right arm. So um, first camp, I was getting him to forehand jump out in his forehand corner, and I, obviously that's the right movement for that corner. Everybody in the world does it. And he pulled me to one side. This is my first camp. And he says, um, which you can't do that. And can't I says, well, why, Jim? Like, you can do it. He went, but every time I jump, 
my hand comes up and hits me in my face. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. He went, no, it's not your fault. And I felt, about, literally, I felt about yeah. that big. I didn't know what to say. And he was like, look, like, it's fine. Um, but it's just things like that around, yeah, the coaching side of it. It's just you've got to – he knew my heart was in the right place, even though, I, yeah, I made a bit of a mess up. But he – and he did he, – he was quite funny about it. I think you'd never me. be – you'd never be – you can – if you can't be honest – and you have to tread on eggshells. It's never going to work, right? You've got to be able to laugh about it. And they've had the life of it, right? I mean, they've had yeah. a whole life of it with kids, and they've they've had everything. That, there's nothing that you could say that they haven't heard before, if you know what I mean. They've heard it. They've heard it all. So it's and it's all in your. I think for me anyway, it's on my head. You know all the all the thing, and you do have the thing that says, "Oh my God, they're amazing for a disabled person." What the, what that's a terrible thing to say, right? You know when yeah. somebody says. You know, do you know? Do you know what I mean? But it's, there's nothing worse than feeling like you've been condescending. Is that? I yeah. think that's the thing with me. I I couldn't agree more. Um, but then, before I met Rookie in a chair and Bobby and and Colin and people like that, if I lost my leg or ended up in a chair, I'd end up in a really bad place. Oh, before meeting these people, definitely. where seeing them do what they do, if I lost my leg, I never do. But if I did, I wouldn't change my life. I'd do exactly what I do. I've seen it done and I just, I'd still coach, I'd still do my job, I'd still take my daughter out and I'd still ride a bike, I'd still do everything I need to do because all these people prove that it's possible. So then let's just do it. Where before meeting these people, it would have really knocked me for six, I think. Me being me, I'm really active and on it. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I think it would be, a, it's a big change in my perspective of of disability anyway yeah it's fantastic good uh, listen I'll let you get on with your night well, the one question I always end with uh, which I would like to ask so I drop my pencil there um, the very last question is always what is it do you think about badminton that is what if you to if I were to ask you what it, of all the different sports that you have played and would played and why you chose badminton why do you think what do you feel is different and special about badminton do you think I think what do you think like about it I I think it's a perfectionist. It's a physical golf for me. Um, I love golf because it's it's a perfectionist sport. Like you get it right, it's perfect. It's brilliant. There's no better feeling. And I feel like badminton's the same, but just a lot more physical. Um, you play badminton sometimes, and everything comes off, and you make good contact, and it goes where you want it to go, and and you do exactly what you want, and it all comes off, and that is heavily addictive. Um, and I feel like when you have them moments, even though you might like me anyway, I have them moments about once every five years. But um, I think having them moments just really, like I said, they're so infectious. And then that helps you train and, and work hard for the next ones. Um, so, yeah. yeah I, definitely, that's I agree always. with that. And the people you meet, I always think, people. everybody says that, the people you meet all the way down the road, isn't it? People that love badminton love badminton. Do you know what I mean? I always say that. People that love badminton, you know, you've always got something in common. People, you you know, you go to bed lying. It's like golf. It is like, I think it is like golf. Like, I play golf and I go away, and if I've played a complete rubbish round of golf, if I've played one good shot, I will lie in bed at night and I'll think. And I don't know, as a golfer, here's a one for you. Do you ever go to bed, right, dreaming of every single shot you played in the whole round? Or thinking about, the, you know, some people count sheep. I count, I count golf shots, literally. Right, I went off the tee, and then I had to chip on, and then I putted, and I missed the putt. That was stupid. Then the second drive was this. That's what that's... <laughs> it knocks yeah. you asleep. But the third hole, I'm off. It's brilliant. It's the best ever. 
anyway. I, I think it's um yeah i love it yeah i like golf as well i'm not very good I, but i like it we all play it up in sheffield Dear. like i said yeah it's good for us because the difference between golf and badminton in, in the other perspective is badminton's really asked to, to be at its best the person on the other side needs to be as good as you yes. if they're 20% yes. better than you, they're taking pity and it, you're just running around like a blue-ass fly. If, um, if, if it's the other way around, it's too easy for you. Where golf, you can play with anybody of any standard and have a good game. Like, And uh, I think that's where uh, it's a little bit more accessible and or to get it that yeah, sweet like, spot, yeah. it's a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, well, I've made I think... it now. I am coming to Sheffield, I'm going to badminton and I'm playing golf. Oh my yeah. God, what a weekend. It's... Get yourself down, the lads will love it. Bring your oh, shoes in and have a hit, and uh, we'll go play some golf in the afternoon. But like the perfect couple of days, you just I got am, to uh, bank on I'm, the weather down. I am on that. No, I'm used to playing golf in the arena. I live in Scotland. I'm all right. Take care, Rich. Thanks very much. An awesome work for you and your team. You've done a brilliant job in Tokyo. You should be very proud of the lot of you. All right. Thank you. Take Thank care, you. Rich. It's been great to meet you. Cheers, buddy. Take care. Cheers. Thanks.